I was always a little bit confused about people being invited to speak at this time of the afternoon in a lectureship. I mean, I guess it's one of two things. I mean, either it's because they think that you can keep people awake with your speaking, or they think that you're the kind of speaker nobody cares about anyhow, and if they sleep, who cares, right? Who cares about it? Well, I'm, I don't want you to tell me which one I am, but I want to tell you that I'm glad to be here. And I, I hope that this will be as interesting to you as it is to me. This is, this is a lesson about a little-known character, but, he's, but he plays into this all this thing we're talking about, about Baal and Ahab and Jezebel, and, and his name is Ahaziah. So today, I want to talk to you about Ahaziah. Now, he, his sister's more famous than he. There's more about Athaliah. Okay, so we're going to be in the, the end of, of 1 Kings. So in chapter 20, let's see, let's, let's open to 1 Kings chapter 22. And then we're going to start in chapter 1 of 2 Kings. Now, you bear in mind that 1 and 2 Kings used to be all together. It was the kings. And then by and by it was divided into two, and so we have first and second. So it's not a surprise that this just kind of bleeds over. It just comes right over into second Kings. And first Kings chapter 22 and verse 51, Ahaziah, that's how you pronounce it. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and the way of his... I want you to see the emphasis on where he got his evil, where he got his Baal worship. There's great emphasis on from the Bible about that he got it from his mom and daddy. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother, in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. For he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. Now, you, you, you remember, of course, about the two different kingdoms. So the major kings of Israel are Saul and David and Solomon. And then Solomon had a son named Rehoboam, who was a very foolish man. And because of his bad decisions, the kingdom divided into the northern and southern kingdoms. And it was split, never to be reunited again. The northern kingdom took the name Israel, and there were essentially ten tribes that made up the northern kingdom. The southern kingdom was called Judah, all right? Essentially two tribes. And the reason I tell you that is that there are two Ahaziahs. So let me just dispense with this, because they're tied together. I think it's pretty interesting, really. So you have the one that is Ahab and Jezebel's son, Ahaziah. And, and that's the one that we're going to be talking about. But Ahaziah's sister, Athaliah, goes over and marries the king of the southern kingdom, Judah, Jehoram. I mean, this just blows my mind because you've got this, this hellish influence of Baal that's all tied to Jezebel and all of that. So not only did Jezebel come in and with her Baalism, she corrupts the northern kingdom of Israel, but then she has this daughter named Athaliah who's full of that, and she goes over and marries the king of the southern kingdom, and Jehoram, and, uh, and she's going to, Athaliah's going to fill that up with Baal, and it's, it's just awful. But when Athaliah had her son... She loved her brother, I guess, so much that she named him Ahaziah. 
All right, so there you have it. You have two Ahaziahs. There's one that belongs to Ahab and Jezebel, and then, and then Ahab and Jezebel have a grandson, Athaliah's son, whose name also is Ahaziah. So there you are. I want to talk about the one that's the first one, Ahab and Jezebel's son. Now, you know that Jezebel is a princess. She grew up under a daddy who's the king of the Sidonians, and so she always had a silver spoon in her mouth. And so you talk about Ahaziah. He's got a daddy who's a king. He's got a mama who's a princess. You can just imagine how he grew up. He, uh, he went to the most prestigious schools. He wore designer clothes. He, he was exposed to the finest culture. He rode in the king's chariot. He slept on satin sheets. There wasn't anything that he wanted of a material nature that he couldn't have. He had everything. But I want you to think about, and, and I didn't create this. The scripture wants to emphasize that, that the evil man he was was directly connected to the kind of parents he had. And that's no surprise to you, of course. We, we believe that we have permission to be whatever our parents were. He, he grew up, I mean, when, when this little boy was about so tall and he reached to hold his mother's hand, he was holding the hand of Jezebel, the murderous Jezebel who killed the prophets of God as his mama. When he stood at the knee of his daddy, he was standing at the knee of Ahab who wept because he couldn't have Naboth's vineyard and watched his wife go and kill that good and innocent man in order that Ahab could have the vineyard. And when this little boy, Ahaziah, stood there by his daddy, that's who he was standing beside. I can remember my mother praying. My mother has severe dementia now, and she's not there with us much anymore. But when I was young, she was, and I can remember in the early mornings, I'd get up and I'd go to get my Kellogg's, and my mother would be in front of her kitchen window. I can see her clear as day right now. And she'd have her eyes closed, and she would, her lips would be moving. I couldn't hear her, but I knew what she was doing. She was praying, and I knew what my job was, be quiet about I was just to be quiet. When Ahaziah listened to his mama pray, he listened to her pray to Baal. When he went with his parents to worship God, they were worshiping in the groves of idolatry. I just want to paint a picture. That's, that's who Ahaziah is. His sister, Athaliah, is so wicked. I... I guess we'll have some discussion of this, I'm not sure, but she, she was so wicked, there came a point at which her husband dies, Jehoram dies, and Ahaziah dies. We'll talk about that in a minute. And what she's going to do is she only has power in, in Judah because she's married to the king. But she had power because of that now that he's, he's dead and the successor to the throne, Ahaziah, is dead. What she's going to do is to kill everybody that has a bloodline to the, to the throne. I mean, talk, 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 her grandchildren. She had her grandchildren killed. Uh, I'm just, I just want you to know, that, that's his sister, Ahaziah's sister. So Ahaziah grows up. Now, you get to the end of 1 Kings, and Ahab, his daddy, gets killed. The Syrians, you know, are going to have this, they have this war, and, and Ahab disguises himself, but it's not so successful because when they can't find him, they want, to, they want to kill him, the Syrians do, above all, but they cannot find him. He's disguised. And so you have this providential arrow 
And one of the Syrians takes, you remember, he takes the arrow and he releases it. You can just see that thing soaring up and up. And God directed the head of that arrow and it went between the joints of the armor at Ahab. And it pierced him. And they stand him up. But he's going to bleed out. And when he does, they, according to prophecy, they, they take that chariot with his blood and they wash it in the water right there over there beside where the harlots bathe, the Bible says. And the dogs came and licked his blood. Now when that happened, our character for this session, Ahaziah, is king. I mean, he's king. Now, he's only going to, his daddy reigned 22 years. He's just going to reign a year and a half or maybe two, somewhere in between there, not for very long. And that, that brings us to this point. Now, he, he is utterly attached to Baal. I mean, he's a Baal guy. He carries on the tradition, the family tradition, of converting as much of Israel, or in this case, Judah, the southern kingdom, I'm sorry, Israel, the northern kingdom, to Baalism that he can. That's his influence. He's utterly against God. And you're going to see that more in a minute. Okay, so he's been, been ruling for a couple of years. And he falls through the lattice. I don't know what that means. He's on the second story of his palace, his place. And I don't know what happened, except that's just what the Bible says. He falls through the lattice. And, and it, uh, I, so he's, he's seriously injured. Maybe some internal bleeding going on. We, we don't know, but it's pretty serious. And so they put him in the bed. He can still think and he can still talk and he's going to linger for a while. But he sends, he sends messengers to go down about 45 miles to a Philistine temple where there's a Baal idol. And I want you, he said, to go and inquire of Baal whether or not I'm going to survive. So he, he believed that, the, that Baal had some sort of predictive ability to, to discern whether or not he would live or die. Now put yourself in the shoes of God and imagine how God views that. You've got to bear in mind that just, just not long ago his daddy Ahab was uh, on Mount Carmel and you had Elijah there and, you ha and, and so you have the, the contest of the gods and God answers in fire and they kill the 450 prophets of Baal and you have this, it's a magnificent moment in history. And when Ahaziah is injured, he acts as if there's no God in heaven at all except Baal. And he'll seek out Baal. And you just think about that. I was driving down the highway the other day in Huntsville, Alabama. 565. 65 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour. And there was a pickup truck driving, driving beside me. There was moderate traffic, not bad traffic. But it was an older truck. And, and the hood inexplicably flew up. The latch came undone. And, and he was beside me over there, and I, it just caught my attention. It flew up, completely blocking his view, and there wasn't anything he could do about it. He couldn't get out and get the hood down without stopping the vehicle. And, and I just I felt so sorry for him. Now, it worked out all right. He was okay, but can you just imagine not knowing what's in front of you? you I can't remember. It happened so fast. You know, you, and, and, and the car saw what happened. Everybody slowed down around him, and he eased off on the side and everything was okay. I think, I think that's, that's where this, this young king is. So he seeks out Baal. You, you go to Baal. So the messengers go. But God sends uh, Elijah. I want you to intercept them. And here's what you tell them. Now I am, I'm in 2 Kings chapter 1, verse 3. The middle of the verse. 
Tell them this. Tell those messengers from Ahaziah this. Is it because there's no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah departed. So Elijah intercepts him, and he hollers out to them. And he says, you go back and tell your master this. And so they turned around, and they go back to Ahab. And they say, we saw this man. He asked this question. Is there not a God that you have to consult with Baal of Ekron? Is there not a God in heaven? Not a God in Israel? And Ahaziah said, what did this man look like? They said, well, he's a hairy man, had a leather belt. It's Elijah. And I think that's, I think that's important because there's a difference in Scripture between a presumptuous sin and a sin of ignorance. And a sin of presumption is worse. Leviticus chapter 4 is, is largely dedicated to sins of ignorance in Israel, but a sin of presumption, where you know what you're doing, but you just choose it. You know it's against God, but you choose it. The point is that, that Ahaziah knew Elijah. He knew the God of Elijah. He just rejected him. He just, he just rejected him. And so how would you respond now? I mean, if you were Ahaziah, I think your mind would go back to, to, to Mount Carmel and to the contest of the gods and what happened with this same man, Elijah, and my daddy, Ahab. And now you're faced with a similar thing. And, and here, is, here is Ahaziah. He's very, very ill. He's on the bed, and he wants to know if he's going to live or die. And he's so determined. I'm going to tell you that false religion loves silence, I guess. At least sin does, I know. The darkness of sin loves silence. And what he wants to do is to silence the prophet of God. And so he sends 50 soldiers with one leader. You arrest him and bring him to me. And so 50 soldiers. I think that's a little bit of overkill. In Huntsville, Alabama, where I live, sometimes you'll see a police car pull up to, to a house or something. And suddenly you'll have six police cars pull up to that house. And I, I don't think it's because they're about to have a big battle. I think they're trying to prevent a battle. I think just looking out and seeing six police cars, you'd probably want to, you know, be nice, I think. Uh, so you have 50, 50 soldiers and this one leader, and there Elijah is sitting on the top of that hill right there, and, and yonder they come. Okay, so here we are, verse 9. The king sent to him a captain of 50 with his 50 men, so he went up to him, and there he was, sitting on the top of a hill, and he spoke to him, Man of God! I think that's ironic, don't you? Called him Man of God. The king has said, Come down! Don't you love that? The king has said, Come down. Remember the Lord talking to Pilate? You wouldn't have any power at all except God gave it to you. you know, what are you? What are you? The king has said, Come down. So Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, If I'm a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And that's what happened. I guess it was, I don't, maybe it was like lightning. I don't, I, you know what? I think it was like Mount Carmel when the fire came down to that altar. Don't you reckon it looked something like that? If I'm a man of God, let this happen. Whoosh, it happens. And they're all, they all woke up dead. I mean, they're gone. <laughs> Well, word gets back to Ahab. Now what would you do if you're Ahab? Now what you, would you do? See, one of the speakers already has talked about this a little bit. And 
See, in our minds, we, we think if, there, if, if we had today the ability to perform miracles, we'd convert so many more people. People would, people would change if, there were miracles, if we had the miraculous gifts today. Wouldn't you love to have the miraculous gifts? Those people who study the Bible, we, you know, we didn't work out so good in the New Testament time, did it? In the first century, didn't. You know, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, you read those chapters, and you know that it caused, I mean, it was important to launch the church, but people weren't good with it, and, and you had, it caused division in the body, and we're not under the miraculous age. We don't have the miraculous gifts, but you go to Luke chapter 16, and you remember what the rich man in torment said. No, but he said, but if one came from the dead and talked to my brothers, they will repent. What was the response from Abraham? No, no. If they won't hear Moses and the prophets, neither would they repent, though one be raised from the dead. They wouldn't, but they wouldn't. That's a striking thing. That's just striking. So Ahab knows his 51 have just been decimated by Elijah's God with fire from heaven. So you know what he does? He sends 50 more. It's a conveyor belt over the cliff. That's what it is. So the 50 more come, and they repeat the same thing. There is one little detail that's interesting to me, and instead of saying uh, the same thing, they add a word. This is verse 11. Man of God, thus has said the king, or has the king said, come down, and they added the word quickly. Don't you love that? Oh, now Elijah's going to be afraid, I guess, or God Almighty is going to be Nervous. Are you kidding? He sent fire from heaven just like that and destroyed the first 51. And now, come down quickly. Who do you think you are? Are you serious? Here's the nature of idolatry, I guess. Pretending that that thing is real. It's childishness. It's all childishness. And exactly the same thing happened. Elijah said, "If I'm this is verse 12, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. That's what happened. And then Ahab sent the third 50 with a leader. Now, if you haven't read this, you don't remember what's about to happen. This is just pretty fun. Because the third group comes with their leader. They, they're following the commands of Ahaziah the king. And you can see, I, I assume they're dressed up in, in military, maybe, uh, maybe some armor, maybe a, maybe a broad sword. They're coming to arrest this man. But when the leader comes, he gets close enough to the man of God, and he goes down to his knees, and, and he says, please don't kill us. We, we know what you did to the first 50. We know what you did to the second 50. And we've been sent. We got the third 50. We don't want to burn. Please don't do it. And the angel of the Lord said to Ahaziah, he won't hurt you. You go on with him. And when you get to Ahab, you tell him what I said. And that's what happened. Now we drop down to verse 16. Then the Lord said, or then he said to him, thus says the Lord. Now this is to Ahab, Elijah to Ahab, because you've sent messengers to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron, it is, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, now see, it, I'm not sure about this, but it appears to me that, that Ahaziah might have survived it, his fall, had it not been for crying out to Baal. 
it looks a little like that the consequence of him calling out to Baal is that God is taking his life. You can read and decide that what you think about that. But therefore you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Ahaz died. Ahaziah died. I want to impress you with the matter of fact and rather abrupt way that that said. Elijah said, because of this, you shall surely die. And he died. That's just how it is. And he died. Now, what I'm going to do in the next few minutes is make some observations, some takeaways. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Let's see how we're doing. Oh, I like that. I want to make these practical, hopefully practical observations. Six of them. Number one, when a leader of God's people falls into sin, the result is worse than it would be for somebody else. I grew up in a preaching family. My father did before me because my grandfather was a preacher, my father a preacher, my son a preacher. And I'm not saying that to boast. I, I, it, it's a... Uh, it's something that I rather enjoy, and I wish we knew how it worked, how we did it, but I don't exactly know that. But well, I do have a grandson named Ellis Glenn. He's, he's about almost one year old, and he's going to be a gospel preacher. We haven't told him yet, but <laughs> he's, that's what he's going to, listen, that's what he's going to do. When I grew up, we talked about sometimes living in a fishbowl. And I, I remember, I, I, I never resented that. I never did. I mean, I felt it. Because people think about the preacher's kids being in a rather different category. I guess it's because the preacher's in the pulpit and he's preaching about how we should behave and, and conduct ourselves. And so people look to the wife and to the children and to him, and maybe in a different way. That's what. But anyway, I, I always just kind of accepted it. If, you, if your dad's a preacher, it's just part of it. And I, I don't remember it ever really fretting me. I don't think I ever begrudged that. That's just, I just accepted that. I'm going to tell you something. Those of you in this room who are elders in the church, preachers in the church, Bible class teachers in the church, deacons in the church, let me tell you something plainly. You, you get yourself involved in some egregious sin and you'll hurt the church in a way that's not true about other people. Now you can accept that if, if, or deny it, but I'm telling you it's true. It's just the truth. I know a church right now and their preacher has carried on a long sexual affair with a woman in the church and, and now discovered, how long do you reckon it takes for a church to get past that? How long does it take before they get over it in the community? I mean, how much talk is there in a community when that happens? And what you do is that you, you, you unemploy the preacher quick, of course, because of this. You, you, you can't let him back in the pulpit. And so you, you do some damage control and try to protect the church, but I'm just telling you, and you know this. Everybody in this church, every, every one of us, we, we need to be faithful to our Lord and, and abhor things that are evil. And if you're involved in something evil, you must get rid of it in your life. But not just because you want to go to heaven and not hell, but because of the impact it can have over other people. Not all sins are created equally, you know. I mean, all sins are transgression of God's law, 1 John 3 and verse 4. But, but they're different. Sometimes a sin is a sin of the heart, a private matter, and nobody knows it except you and the Lord, and that's still a sin, but it's not the same thing as what I'm talking about. And you talk about Ahaziah. 
Ahaziah was a, was a wicked, sinful man, but it wouldn't have made as much different except for the fact that he was a leader of God's people. And as a result, he had the power, the authority, to command 102 of those men to go to their death. And that's something. You talk about an elder in the church who goes astray in his life, doctrinally, morally. What about the impact on that church? What about the impact? So I, I just want to say that that it's, it's part of the reality of the human existence, and, and in particular in reference to God's people, that when a leader among his people falls into sin, the result is inevitably going to be worse. And here's the second. The religious influence of parents is a compelling force. I mean on the positive side and on the negative side. And, and so here's the young king, and, and he is every bit like his mom and daddy. He's following the same hellish course that his parents did to serve Baal, and he's, he's promoting it among everybody around him. You're not really surprised about that. Again, we feel, we feel we have permission to do whatever our parents did. Isn't that something? The reality, the cold fact of it is that most people living in the world right now will go to hell unless they deviate from their parents' religion. Is that a true statement? It's just a true statement. What's the lesson for us? And that is that the first thing is that you be sure that your religion is based on what you read in your Bible and not merely what you learn from your family. And I'm not diminishing the value, of course, of, of having great Christian parents. I'm just saying you make sure that your faith is your own. Now, now it's also true in the reverse. I, I do not think it's as easy to raise, raise Christian kids as it is to raise infidel kids. I think you can raise wicked kids easier than you can faithful kids. I, I teach debate at West Huntsville where I preach. And lads to leaders, a part of what we do is, is debate. And I, I get to write the propositions each year for lads to leaders, and I, I rather enjoy that. And we take practical things that they're going to need as they grow up. We, we take real discussions about the necessity of baptism or about women's role in the church or about homosexual marriage, about lots of very practical subjects, and we debate them. But to debate, what has to happen is that every team of two of these students, high school students, they come and they'll debate twice, one in the affirmative, one in the negative. That's how you have to do it. And so when we're training, the students would much rather Although, I should say, they have a lot more fun arguing error than they do the truth. Now, I make sure that they all know the truth, but the fun is with arguing error. And you know why? You want to know why? Because you, you just, the sky's the limit. You, you, just, you can just be creative and, and try to trick the people who are holding to the truth. You're just free, free. And, and so, anyway, that, that's what happens. It's easier to raise a worldly person than it is to raise a faithful Christian. But that doesn't really matter to the point. The point still is that, that you and I can raise faithful Christians. And tonight when we have our supper thing, I want to talk some more about that. I'm looking forward to it. Right, here's number three. Idolatry is a ridiculous temptation until it tempts you. Now, I mean, you... you, you you know about this. Psalm 115 talks about idolatry, and it says, Eyes have they, but they cannot see. Noses have they, but they cannot smell. Hands have they, but they cannot feel. And then this remarkable observation, which is, They that make them are like unto them. Don't you love that? 
mean, you, you, you and I, we, we look at idolatry and we think about buying, bowing down in front of a graven image and we just think that's silly. You know, you take some wood and you, and you use some of that wood from that tree to, to bake your bread in the fire. And some of it you use the wood to, to heat the house and you keep warm. And then you take a piece of that wood and you carve it into an idol and then you bow down and worship that thing. And we say, well, that's silly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Until you appreciate that Colossians 3.5 talks about covetousness being idolatry. We don't talk too much about covetousness. But if I had to summarize what covetousness means, it means when my desire for things, for, for this world things, outruns my desire to please God, then I'm covetous. Well, you know, we, we could do that, couldn't we? In our lives, that's not so strange sounding as bound down before a graven image in it. It's called idolatry. I've, look, I, I've got to be next world oriented. It doesn't mean that I don't work a job. It doesn't mean that I don't pay my bills and, and I have to get the mortgage and all that stuff. I, of course, that's true. But listen, I must have no confusion about my destination. I want to go to heaven. You know what? I, I'm, re I'm ready to trade this world for the next one anytime. Right? I mean, I want to go to heaven. See, we can't be confused about that. And when it comes down to pleasing God or being materialistic in my life, if I have to compromise my faith in God and my responsibility to God in order to have more things, I'm covetous and I'm idolatrous. Now, the point is that idolatry is a ridiculous temptation until it tempts you. And we've been talking about serving King Baal, God Baal. And how is it that people could do that? And I think it was because it was so popular. I think it was, must, it was just so... You can imagine living in a culture, a society, people going to Canaan, and God said, don't you be, don't you be following after them and their gods. Don't you be doing that. Well, that's exactly what they did. And everybody did it. It was just, that's just what you do. If you're with it, you, you serve Baal, you serve the gods, Ashtaroth. And here's number four. Humans are frail, fragile creatures. If, there's, if there was anybody living at that time who you would believe would have security about longevity, it'd be the king. He had everything. Are you kidding? You know, whatever medical things, they, the technology they had at that time, surely he had access to everything. He had people around him 24-7 serving him. He had the finest food. He wasn't going to eat anything bad. I mean, he, he had everything. Anybody who, who you'd feel have security and longevity, it'd have been him, Ahaziah. But he fell. He fell down. He fell down. I'm, I'm, I'm trivializing that because it just seems so little. He fell down. And he died. You know, I mean, and this is not, this is not to suggest pessimism. It's just realism. And so James says, you know, go to now, you that say today or tomorrow. We'll go into such a city. We'll continue there in year, and we'll buy and sell and get gain. Because you don't know what's on the morrow. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. This is, not, this is not pessimism. It's just to say that, ladies and gentlemen, we, we, we need to be faithful to our God every single day. Walk with God. Walk in the light. Be students of the Bible. I know that's simplistic. I know it is. But isn't that the thing we need to say? Surely we learn one of these lessons from, from this young, foolish, evil king. He fell down, and he died. That's what happened. I... I I think about my life, and I've got plans for quite a long time still. Will I fulfill those plans? I don't know. 
I tell Cindy, that I, I enjoy a couple of different hobbies and I, I have projects waiting for me and I tell her sometimes that I expect one day to die and leave a number of unfinished projects behind. She rolls her eyes at that, but, but it's true. I must not, I must not assume I, that tomorrow will be for me. I, I try very, I don't say it all the time, but I try frequently to say, if something comes out of my mouth in reference to plans, I will be there tomorrow at noon. I almost always will say, if the Lord wills, if, if he wills. I don't know. I, that's what I believe. It's what I believe. Here's, here's number five. Historically, it's not uncommon for a religion to be both popular and offensive to God at the same time. And there you have the worship to Baal. And you can develop that. In reference to religion, you just must be very careful about assuming at any time, at any time, that the majority is right. The majority does not have a good track record. I mean, you think about Genesis 6 and the flood. You wouldn't want to assume that the majority is the way to go. You, you're going to drown, right? You think about the crucifixion of Jesus, the trials of our Lord. You wouldn't want to follow the majority. You wouldn't want to do that. And you can illustrate that over and over and over again. It's just not typically true that the majority gets religion right. And it certainly wasn't true in the time of the young king. That doesn't mean that if, if more people obey the gospel, I need to leave it. That's silly. But it does mean I, I just need to take a deep breath and not assume that the more people that follow a course of action makes it somehow more right. That would be foolish. And here's the last one. One day, Ahaziah will bow before Christ and he won't be wearing a crown. The Apostle Paul talked about a crown in 2 Timothy chapter 4. There's a crown of righteousness laid up for me, right? Not to me only, but also to all them that love is appearing. But Paul would write that, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There's a great day coming. And before him will be gathered, Matthew 25, before him will be gathered all nations, and he's going to separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And I'm going to tell you that Ahaziah, the young king, is living today. He's been living in Hades for somewhere around 3,000 years, regretting his decisions. I'm not enjoying that fact. It's simply a fact. And those prophets of Baal that died in 1 Kings 18, those 450, they're also there. They're there. And 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or evil. Let, let me tell you something. I want to be a Christian. I, 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 I intend to be a Christian the rest of my life. And it really doesn't matter what other people do. It really doesn't. This is between God and me. I'm going to try to help people go to heaven, but I'm going to tell you, people are going to have to make their own decisions. I'm going to try to teach and preach, but I want to make sure I go to heaven. I want to go to heaven. You've been very kind to listen, and you've been very patient. We've been here since this morning, and look at this crowd. Don't we have a... Rob, haven't we got a good crowd? I'm just so thankful, I'm so thankful to be a part of this. And we've got more things to happen this evening, and I'm looking forward to that. And I just want to say, 
Thank you, and God bless you.